Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+. My name is Douglas Parsons. Devanning Hubert is my guest today, and he has a story that needs to be heard. Devanning is the author of Sex, Drugs, and Jesus, a memoir about his struggles with drug addiction, drug dealing, homelessness, contracting HIV and Hep B, and rejection from his church based on his sexuality. Devanin is also the host of a fantastic podcast titled Sex, Drugs, and Jesus. And he is also the owner of Down Under Apparel, a lingerie and sportswear store for men and women. Aside from this, Devanin is an honorably discharged veteran of the United States Air Force and a graduate of both Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University and the Hypnosis Motivation Institute. Devanin's story is one of surviving the social outskirts and finding one's way back to a balanced path. I've been excited about this interview for a long time, and I'm glad to finally be able to bring him to your screen and your listening ears. Before I do this, though, I do need to make mention that Tales of the 2S LGBTQ Plus is a weekly video and audio podcast that showcases the remarkable people found within our rainbow community. By listening to our stories, we gain insight, understanding, and connection. So let's continue to connect in 2022 while being introduced to amazing people and topics. This episode was recorded live at some point, so Technical hiccups, voice snafus, and other unexpected hijinks may have happened, and it's very likely that something has happened. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or another audio listening platform, and you've enjoyed the content in previous episodes, as well as this one you're going to be listening to, please leave us a starred rating and a message. These ratings do help us when it comes to the algorithms. They allow our stories to be heard by more and more people. And if you're watching us here on YouTube, be sure to press subscribe and get notifications when new episodes arrive. I'm based here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And it's important for me to say that as I would like to acknowledge that I am living within Treaty 6 territory and within the Métis homelands and Métis Nation of Alberta Region 4, a traditional meeting ground, gathering place, and traveling route to the Cree, Sado, Blackfoot, Métis, Diné, and Nakota Sioux. I acknowledge all the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit whose footsteps have marked these lands for centuries. I am grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and who have gone before us. I continue to open myself up to listen, to learn, and to understand. I hope you join me on this journey as well as we learn truth. I make this acknowledgement as an act of reconciliation and gratitude to those on whose territory we reside. Today on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, my guest is Devanin Hubert, 
and it is now time to bring him up on your screen and to your listening ears. Welcome to Vannon. Hello, 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 baby. Thank you so much for having me and hello to everyone out there listening and watching. Yeah, before we uh, turned on the button to record, I was filling Devannon in on the extreme cold that we've been experiencing here in Western uh, Western Canada for the last month. And basically, Devannon, are you going to be booking a flight to come here to visit us next week? Fuck no. I'll, I'll, <laughs> hell to the no. Like I was telling you, man, my dick would fall off and go tumbling down the concrete if I dared to, to step my tropical ass off of a plane up there, you know, mm -mm, I need to be as close to the equator as I can get. And uh, I'll see you like in the spring or whenever. When is it warm there? Yeah, spring is good. Spring is good. But just remember, it's always barbecue season here, regardless of the weather. So we can make it work. So if you do end up at the Edmonton airport, there's food. There's food involved. So... Just remember that, okay? Is there a drink? There's always drink. <laughs> always, always, always. There's a reason why we have to keep warm. All of us up here are bears if we're mm -hmm. uh, focusing on body size. And other than our love handles, we do have to keep a, a little bit of drink in us to keep us warm. I know that's right. Edamanen, <laughs> <laughs> you've got a story that is just mind-boggling and when i take a look at it i could see it that it could be something called like a tragedy resume if you allowed it to be that way but you haven't you've overcome so much and so before we get into the beginning where do you fit in when it comes to our larger 2s lgbtqia community I like them all. I probably couldn't be a lesbian since, you know, I don't, I'm not like a girl or anything, but my family is part Native American. They are, um, I've been with boys. I've been with girls, you know, I've thrown on heels, you know, I have a beard. Um, you know, I like all the letters really. <laughs> Well, and the great thing about what's happening today is that we're learning so much about sexuality and gender that some of those terms may not even be known yet. We might not have the words yet that fully describes who Devan Hubert is. And so, you know, we'll talk again in a year or two and maybe a new letter in our acronym will be the D for Devan, of course. It's all about the D, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all about it. <laughs> so, Tavan, we have to start with religion uh, in your life because it, it's a part of who you are today, but it, it's the basis of a lot of your story. So can you tell us about the role religion played as you grew up? As I grew up. So you're asking me specifically about my childhood, not anything else right now. Yeah, we'll get to today. We'll get to okay. today. But as when you grew up. Well, I grew up Pentecostal. I don't recommend that to anybody. Um, I'm now, as 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 we say, a recovering Pentecostal. And uh, 
And for those of you who may not know what Pentecostal means, that means um, a mixture of righteousness and batshit crazy and a hell of a lot of judgment. So um, it so, OK, so Pentecostals are like everything's wrong. Women can't wear too much jewelry. The dresses can't be too short because, of course, she's a whore. You know, if she comes in there dressed like they think she shouldn't, if you're gay, you're going to burn in hell. Um, you know, and the list goes on of the don'ts and uh, yo can't drink, can't dance. None of that j- jiving down at the j- joint, no nightclubbing, none of that bullshit. Uh, no sex before marriage, no sex outside of marriage. No, 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 no masturbation. Uh, no, <laughs> you know, women always in dresses down on their ankles, that type of thing. Can't be having them legs out now, can we? And uh, <laughs> also it has to be horrifying, especially when you realize that you may have been different from the other people around you when you started to discover your yourself you had to have been horrified or petrified what were those emotions take uh taking place within you those sort of emotions doug are what causes cause myself and causes many people to begin to question who they are you know we don't come into this world thinking we're fucked up, something's wrong with us or that we need to be fixed. We hear that from outside sources and then we choose to internalize it. So that is when I began to think what is wrong with me. Maybe I'm not going to go to heaven. Maybe I'm not living righteously. I have problems. I'm dirty. You know, God doesn't want me this way. So that is where my insecurities, you know, part and part rooted from, you know, and that's not a good foundation for any kid to have. You should believe in yourself. You should trust yourself. You should love yourself and embrace yourself, not be given reasons to doubt yourself. Yeah. We have uh, an issue here in Edmonton, and it's an issue that takes place across North America. Uh, we have street preachers who are out every day preaching their word, condemning people at all times. Was this a part of yourself growing up with the Pentecostal church where you were expected to be on street corners uh, preaching the religion or were you able to stay away from that? They wanted people to go out and witness, as they call it. They sent them out by twos, if I'm recalling correctly, which is the same thing Jesus did in the Bible. I don't remember ever going door to door and knocking on them or anything like that. I don't think my mom would have allowed that to happen because she's very protective of her children, but it's not like it's something that the Pentecostal church was opposed to. Mm. I'm not about that life. I think that that's bullshit, but um, the way they go about doing it is bullshit. I believe in open forum. Otherwise we wouldn't be having this talk, but see when you're, when you're, when you're trying to be a soul winner, One of the key things is that you have to have something in common with people that you're talking to, because these are not the days when Jesus is like standing right next to you or or he just left. You know, the God isn't with us quite like that. And so ain't nobody going to be interested in what you're trying to say if they don't if you don't they don't think you give a fuck about them. And the Jehovah's Witnesses used to come to my door and argue with me, you know, they're like, hey, do you know Jesus? I'm like, yeah, I do. The the bitch didn't want to believe me. I'm like, bitch, I told you I fucks with Jesus. Now get the fuck off of my door. 
because see, I, I just went to New York for some reason. <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck off of my door, bitch. Cause I <laughs> just told you. And it's like, they did not want to accept it. So they've already decided that I don't know Jesus. The bitch never met me before, but they have that attitude. Like you need to be fixed. You're dirty. And we know what's best for you. And if you, <laughs> if we're not here to hear you say anything else, except for what we've already decided before we even much met you. See, that is not of God. Well, the really growing up in the religious home, the community, the world around you, it wasn't just yourself then having your awakening and be able to step away from the church. Uh, from my understanding, you also took ministry positions within the church as well. Uh, what were those positions and how long were you in the church until? I was in the church until I got kicked out for not being straight, but I'm big on volunteerism. Any kind of altruistic humanitarian efforts, public service is why I went to the military. Um, you know, I love to to deal with people and to help them in any way I can. The, our most valuable resource is humans, period. And so, um, so I started off being an altar boy, which is not a thing the Pentecostals do, but I, my pastor, the, she was different. And so she took a different approach to everything. And so she wanted a, a servant altar boy in the eighth grade. She asked me to be her personal assistant, basically. And that's where it started in every church I was in. After that, I was either a singles ministry director when I was in California. Um, I mean, a special events coordinator for the singles ministry, not the director. Um, then when I got to Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, you know, there I am, volunteer supervisor, kids life worship leader, teaching third grade boys, um, singing in the adult choir and everything like that. So those are the things that I did. And I also went to seminary in Houston at the Houston Graduate School of Theology for a little bit, too, because I was going to get a, a master's degree in divinity and really take it the whole way and get on staff at church and everything like that. So. Well, then that brings us here to this big question. Okay. So how did you feel when you were labeled as a pedophile and you were removed from those ministry positions because you are part of the LGBTQIA community? There's one word that sums that up, Doug, and I decided to title the chapter in my book that has to do with this after that one word, and it, it is dehumanized. It's an ugly, ugly word. And the dehumanization that comes from being falsely accused, uh, it's something that many people within our community have had done upon them. Uh, and it's horrific. Is this the trigger point for your own story that led to other things that were taking place uh, after in your life when it comes to homelessness, uh, drug abuse? I think so, because I was almost, I was like maybe 27, 28 years old on that fateful day at Lakewood. And I had been offered drugs plenty of times before, but I had always turned them down. But you see, the thing is, and I didn't know this back in the day, but, you know, we go to church to seek a community 
Because truth be told, you don't need to go to church to find God. He already there with you. You know, church is no more than an accessory to your relationship with him. It, it, it should not be the epicenter. And you see that that bullshit was my epicenter. Well, it's not really bullshit, but the pedestal that I had it on was bullshit because I worship the church. I worship going to church and I didn't realize I had made a God out of it. It should not have been that big of a deal when they threw me out. But because my priorities were not aligned like I thought they were, I thought I was close to God and I certainly reverenced him. But if that was the case, when humans got tired of me, then I would have just stuck closer to God. You see, my I wasn't as. I, I wasn't as clear headed as I thought I was. And so I'm very, very thankful that I got thrown out because it was the impetus to, to knock me out of it. But I went and sought community, a lost community from the church, not, not understanding how much we as humans will always find some sort of tribe. We will. It doesn't matter if it's a gang, a, 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 a den, a, you know, a house full of prostitutes selling drug dealers, whatever, you're going to find gaming, motherfucking LARPing and shit, live action role play for all of you don't know cosplay. You know, you're going to find some kind of damn people to, to, to attach with. And so I was like, all right, they won't judge me at the clubs or out there in the street. So I'll go there. Had I had a clearer head, I would have been like, I would just go find me a gay affirming church. But, you know, I'm hurt. I'm devastated. I didn't tend to the to the trauma. I didn't realize it was trauma at the time. That word dehumanize, I only learned that that's what it was called like a couple of months ago. <laughs> so, and this was almost just like 10 years, 13, 14 years ago. I didn't even know what the fuck to call it. And so, and so, yeah, it, it was the breaking point for me because after that, everything I used to say no to, drugs, this, that, and the other, I started saying yes to. And it was out of rage and anger and rebellion. Yeah. Let's bring up on the screen right now the website, which I'll say out loud to our listeners on the audio forms. And itself, all information to find about my guest today, Devan and Hubert, can be found at www.sexdrugsandjesus.com. There you can find his podcast. You can find links for this memoir that we've mentioned, all of the same name. And I highly recommend everyone to go to the website, website, listen, learn, and read. You mentioned the chapter that uh, we've been referencing here at the moment. Not wanting to give out too much because I want people to read the story as well. Was this something that you knew that was going to happen or were you completely blindsided uh, by this demand of the church? Maybe. I, I mean, overall, I was blindsided when I got the email or text or whatever that they wanted to talk to me. I kind of had a bad feeling Okay, but I asked them, I was like, am I in any kind of trouble? I expected them, of course, being representatives of a church, to be honest. And the bitch lied. She was like, oh, no, we just want to have a nice little chat. Okay, ho, you know, if you was going to fire me, you could have told me this shit over the phone. I done wasted my damn gas driving all the way from West Houston to Greenway Plaza, which, you know, Houston, Texas is not a small city. You know, we, you know, and so, no. And what it was... I had 
gotten tipsy and taken some naughty photos with just, you know, just had like some underwear on, cowboy hat, torn shirt, typical shit when you're a vain ass 20 something. One does. And you have a hot body. I'm all like, yay. And so I posted the shit on the cover of my MySpace page. That's how long ago this was. I don't think there was Twitter. I think Facebook. I think it was just like all so new. And so I had applied for a job at Lakewood Church. And so, you know, I had volunteered through like two, three years. You would think that that would be enough to compliment my resume. They're like, no, we need to check your social media to find out who you really are. You know, your two, three years of service pales in comparison to your social media account. And so, and so, and so they were like, they're like, we found your photo on MySpace. How dare you deceive us? And it, it was all it was all very dramatic. And they did like a reverse Karen on me. They felt offended and hurt like I had done something to them because because I was not straight and I never told them. I'm like, well, that really didn't have anything to do with me volunteering. But to be fair, on the application to volunteer in the kids department at Lakewood, they do ask, or at least they did at the time, you know, they say straight up, if you're not straight, don't volunteer because we don't want you around children. And so me just coming out of the military during the time was don't ask, don't tell. In my head, I was accustomed to that sort of political bullshit. Say, okay, so this is another don't ask, don't tell thing. So you really can be gay. We just won't, you know, bring any guys around. We won't say anything. I'm thinking it's that same thing again. I'm not going to fill out this application, which is extensive. They do background checks, everything. It's like a government fucking job. They got all your information. Ain't nobody about to go through all of this to come in here and try to do a crime. Like they already have all of your information. Where can you run? And so, and so no, I should have, the moment I saw that clause on that application, Doug, I should have turned and left then. That's what I would do today. If I'm somewhere and my people are not accepted, I just don't fuck with it. I don't try to negotiate with that. And, you know, and that's why I tell people, if you're at a church or something like that and they think your lifestyle is a sin or if they think it's a sin but not bad, worse as the others, fuck all that. Either you're totally cool and not going to hell and there's nothing wrong with you or you don't fuck with them. I did nothing but harm myself going into a place where I couldn't fully be myself. And I never took boyfriends and guys I was getting dick from or whatever around them. Never, not once did that happen. They just saw the profile and they and they and they were like, OK, you're fired from the adult choir, the kids choir, from, you know, everything. Whether it had to do with children or not. And they were like, you're not the only one. We've done this, too. We do it all the time. And then <laughs> like <laughs> and, then, and then they're always running around there begging people to volunteer. I'm like, well, bitch, stop firing your volunteers. You don't have this problem. And, um, but they did offer me a conversion therapy package though. Ah, the damn fucking conversion therapy. Hey, did you get the news uh, down in your part of the woods about what happened here in Canada last month when it comes to conversion therapy? Mm -mm. What's the tea? All right. Uh, so last month, officially, uh, Canada, through our federal government, so Justin Trudeau and them, uh, it was unanimous. Conversion therapy is banned in Canada 
from coast to coast to coast. It is against the law to offer conversion therapy or have conversion therapy happen in Canada. You know, shit. I've been considering changing my citizenship really to Japan, but they don't allow dual citizenry. So I might have to consider, um, you know, Canada. You know, I wasn't for Justin Trudeau and that blackface photo of him that circulated for a while. But other than that, he's sexy as fuck. I wouldn't mind moving up there to get my hands on him. You know, I'll forgive him just this once. Well, here we go. So now as a special part of Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, we are now looking for someone, anyone, to bend down on a bended knee and offer marriage to Devan and so he can come to Canada officially as a married husband. We'll have, the, we'll have a long, extensive form for people to fill out, though. And with this, this, then this shit should not take as many seasons as it took for Jon Snow to bend the knee in Game of Thrones. We not, we don't have a fucking decade. I need you to bend the knee now. <laughs> and is the spoilers alert over now? Is that is that span? You know, there will be no knife to the stomach at the end. Nothing like that. We can. There's no spoilers there anymore, right? Oh, they're getting ready to come out with the next the shit about the Targaryens now. So. Uh. So and Matt Smith from Doctor Who fame is in it. So yeah. So I'm all over it. I don't have no hair, but maybe I can dye my eyebrows like white. You know, I like to be in character. (laughs) (laughs) Wigs though. So but shit, it's be hot down here. Them wigs just haven't been working in this heat. (laughs) Well, we've got all of it up here, plus so much more. So And once again, everybody will have some type of form for you to fill out here after this podcast comes out. Devannon, we mentioned earlier about yourself as a child growing up when it comes to religion. People know about this trigger point when you were told, asked to leave the church. And so for yourself today, with you being part of the 2S LGBTQIA community. Is it possible for someone within our rainbow community to have a relationship with God? You can have a relationship with God and look, I'm I'm pro Jesus and I'm pro Trinity and Holy Ghost and all of that, but I understand that everybody is going to be. And so I, I love going down to the Buddhist temple. Like it's great to be in the presence of other ball bitches like me, you know? And so the community, I seek it out. I seek it the fuck out. And so, so what, who, what, whoever you want your God to be, I like to clear that up because I don't want to be, you know, I, I always want people to know like I'm an open-minded believer. I don't call myself a Christian because that word is just fucked. And so, and it's too polluted and convoluted with politics and evangelicals and Republicans. And I don't want to be called a Christian for that reason. And, um, but you can have a relationship with your higher power, be it God or whoever. And see, the thing you have to do is consider why would you ever doubt that you could in the first place? Where did you get that shit from? You know, who told you that? You know, coming into this earth, you wouldn't just arbitrarily just think, hmm, God won't take me. Well, where the fuck did that come from? Like, we have to come to a point where we got to know what, why we think what we think 
and be able to back that shit up with some sort of logic and reason and not emotion or voices, voices from the past that, that are playing in our subconscious, unaware to our conscious mind, which we need to get rid of. Because if you and what I did, I get to a point I prayed and asked the Lord, I was like, look, I want the voices from the Pentecostal people, every negative thing my dad told me, every negative thing the military told me, all the negativity from when I was on the street. I wanted you to just take it away. And then I reapproach life as if I was a baby starting over fresh in terms of everything. So whatever it is I thought was wrong, I just either tried the shit or didn't, or I just prayed about it. I didn't go at it like I already knew. So to include myself. And so you can have a relationship with whoever you want to, but you got to believe in yourself and you got to learn how to get into the Bible and different religious texts in their original languages, you know, for yourself. You know, you can't, you know, every translation, there's translations of the Bible. They're all somebody else's take on it. You know, you've got to get, if you're that serious about spiritual stuff, so much as you're going to change your life, I recommend learning how to go through a concordance, which is like a big encyclopedia of like Greek and Hebrew words. It's a big ass book and it's intimidating, but you only need to crack it open to look up specific words whenever it arises. So it's, it's learning how to use the tool. You're not going to read the whole thing cover to cover. But that's what I did. And that's how I freed myself. So they like to use those clobber passages. And I did a whole three part series with a with an affirming minister on my show about them damn clobber was not the, the interpretation of those, the damn interpretation of the clobber passages. Um, Cause there's nothing wrong with the word, which is the way people try to use it as a weapon that is yep. wrong. And we went through all of that, you know, and really broke it down because when you get into the original languages, you know, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic are not like Spanish. It's not just word for word translation. Otherwise, you wouldn't need 100 different versions of it. And so when you really read into it, it's a negotiable translations. And what you have been presented with in this life are conservative people who have controlled the interpretation of the Bible over years. And they didn't give a fuck about gay people, black people, indigenous people. You know, if you weren't white conservative people are in charge of what much of what you're reading when you read the Bible. And so get your ass into those original languages yourself and don't believe nothing no preacher tells you. Don't believe nothing I tell you. Get into that word for yourself and, and be able to give give yourself an explanation as to why you feel how you do about yourself. So we're not listening to preachers. Our spouses, significant others, we're not listening to our cats and the shit that they like to talk to because they can get mouthy at times, you know, <laughs> you know. I, I know that part uh, all too well. Uh, the cats here have been mouthing me off all day and <laughs> I'm not going to have it anymore. Uh, when you were talking, I'm like, yes, this is the foundation of critical thinking and awareness and that. We are devoid of that today. We are just picking up pieces of information here or there and not thinking about why it is the way that it is. We're losing our critical thinking. Um, listeners to this podcast know at length now about an organization that helped to create uh, at the beginning of 2021, which is called Pride Corner on White. And every Friday, 
a large group of people are out countering the street preachers who are on our busiest intersections here in the city of Edmonton. And we were only going to do that for a few weeks. But here we are one year later almost. And it's so many people because we've built this community. And every week when the street preachers are there, we're constantly asking them, why is it that you believe what you believe? And everything that you said here, Devan, they're devoid of wanting to have that conversation themselves. And it's irritating. It's frustrating because it's homophobia wrapped up in Bible quotes. And it should not be that way. You mentioned something earlier in our conversation that I wrote down that you made you made a God out of the church. And it just struck me when you said that. Because many people do that. We build up church to be a God itself. So when was it that you started to really critically think about the church, God in your life? Was it when you were deep in your addiction or did you have to come out of your addiction first before you could recover when it came to your role with God? Well, that is a kick-ass question. And I want you to, before I answer that, I want you to make a note to send me information on your organization so I could look it up. So if it's a nonprofit or whatever, so I can send you some money. And uh, That's coming. We just want support, but we will at some point. We've got great TikToks and all that stuff. We're building. So my people will talk to your people, Devan, because it's uh, there are just amazing people that will love you and you will love them in return. Yeah, send me information. Now, I fly up there to fuck with some bitches on the corner. <laughs> I know how to deal with them corner hoes. <laughs> there are people who are part of the Pride Corner on White group who are watching this who just got chills down their back because they're like, Devanin, we've got a teleport machine here. We'll just get it's it's a little cold, so it'll take a little bit of time for it to charge yeah. up. But, but, you know, you get to the airport and we'll find you there. We'll find you there. But, yeah, so with, were you in the midst of your addiction when you had to have these conversations? Or did you have to recover from addiction first? Both, was ha- both were happening simultaneously because it took about four or five years before I walked into a church again after I got kicked out of Lakewood and I think I was in rehab at the time. And so, and it was kind of like, well, everyone else is going, I guess I'll go. It's not like I was just had an overwhelming joy and urge to go. So, and it was never the same again. Even after I got kicked out of Lakewood, I tried to go back to like a service or two, but it was so fucking awkward. I just, I just felt like all these eyes were watching me and judging me and everything. And it was just, I just couldn't go back. And so by the t- so years, like a half a decade later, I finally strolled into a church again. And no, I never volunteered at a church again. I did find an affirming church here at University Presbyterian Church here at Louisiana State University, you know, that I settled into. But it, it never felt like it did again. You know, and that's when I started going to hang out with the Buddhists and everything like that. And even though I had been in seminary and I had researched world religions, I this was the first time I truly immersed myself in it. And I just looked at everything because I, I knew enough to know that the whole way Christianity had been presented to me was not going to cut it. It was rotten at its core. 
although maybe veiled in good intentions, but I don't really give a damn because denominations like to control people. And they and they told me that when I was in seminary, that's why I quit seminary. The, the professor was like, we want to control the congregation. And I was like, boy, bye. And so, and so no. And being sober has nothing to do with God. Uh, some, you know, you can be, I've been high as fuck and have heard the voice of the Lord speaking to me. He's got, he's caused me to, he sent his spirit to motivate me to get up out of dangerous situations that I was in and, and my ass wasn't moving quick enough, you know, and I remember how the spirit felt from when I was in, in church and had genuine experiences myself, you know, with God or at home as he deals with me. And, 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 the, and I know how the spirit feels no matter what state of mind that I'm in, because I have history with God. And so, and that's no different than any close relationship you have with a human. You know, you might be in a fucked up state of mind, but if you have a, if you have history with that person, you're going to hear them calling you through the fog in your head or a coma, whatever the case may be. You know, you can, you know, if you know that voice, you're going to identify it. And so you don't have to be sober to talk to God. And, you know, out there on those streets in drug houses and homeless people, man, people are aware of God. You know, people, there's no delusions. People out there on the street are like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm living a fucked up life or, this, or the shit I'm doing is fucked up. This is where I'm at right now, you know, but God's got me. You know, the conversations will go like that. It's very fucking real. Nobody's trying to mince words or act like it's not what it's not. We're about to shoot up this, these drugs right now and somebody may go rob somebody. We may have a fucking orgy or whatever, you know, but you know, it is what it is. But God, but but God, God is talked about out there on those streets. And so, how long were you unhoused? Um, what was the length of time? I want to say, <laughs> let me see, maybe six-ish months, if we don't count the two months I spent in jail. <laughs> time moves quick on the streets. Does. Absolutely. Uh, and Devanna, I'm just going to plug uh, that uh, organization uh, that I've just mentioned to you. Uh, we're out there because 40 to 45 percent of the unhoused kids in Edmonton identify as being part of our rainbow community. And we had eight suicides take place in the 10 months before we started going out there. And so we went out there to protest the street preachers, as well as to make sure that those unhoused kids know that they're, even if their blood family sucks, uh, that there's a chosen family out there for them. And that's what we've been doing. And many uh, youths who have been out with us are part of the unhoused community. And it's just been an amazing learning experience for everybody. Uh, so Devan, and hopefully uh, we've been able to reach out to another Devan and out there here in Edmonton and uh, just maybe helped out a little bit. That's for sure. Child, I could, I could preach a whole message on how blood family can be the death of you. If you let it, <laughs> you know, this, if you want to step up to the pulpit and give a sermon of, we are more than we're more than years because people are, People are listening, and I do know that with you being on this podcast, that your message is huge because you've been there. You know it. You've been unhoused. And so can you tell us more about Blood Family, 
chosen family. I'm going to give you a sermonette, you know, so I don't eat up all the time. I'm trying to be conscious of the time. But I'm going to tell it to you like this. I dismissed one of my siblings last year because they had me fucked up. And this is why when our aunt died, this particular sibling decided that we should all pay for this, although she didn't have life insurance. I was like, burn the bitch. You die without life insurance. You don't get diva treatment. You get cooked. That's what happens. End of story. Done. Or, or, or savings or whatever, you know, you know, I'm not going to be stressed out over this. And so this sibling was like, well, wait a minute, you know, because of what our parents did for you back when you were homeless and on the street and everything like that, you ought to pay this two or three thousand dollars. This is what I've decided. So they this sibling tried to use my history to control me. So see, so even after you get over being homeless and you get off the drugs or you come to a point where you can control yourself or whatever it is that is balanced for you, you might have people in your family or wherever trying to bring that old shit up. OK, in a negative way. OK. And I told the sibling, if you ever want to have. And then, of course, there were insults and I was called self. Um, I don't know, self you know, selfish and all this stuff because I wouldn't do what this person wanted me to do. I said, if you ever want to have an intelligent, non-insulting conversation about whatever it is that you feel like you went through when I was homeless, you know, however you were hurt, mind you, I was homeless in the same city where my brother and my sister live. One's a doctor, one's an engineer, and I was on the street. And so whatever it is that you went through in your pain and grief, (laughs) you know you know let me know because it could have taken a toll but you know we can talk about that intelligently that day hasn't come and it's been almost a year so i'm not okay with people trying to you know and we had gone and had cocktails and drinks and things like that i'm like and you've been thinking this low opinion of me this whole time no you should have handled this first and so you're not going to be able to be close to me you cannot control me and you will not be insulting me either goodbye, bye, until you're ready to be an adult. And then, so our best family, and no, not to mention this same sibling, when I was homeless and everything, was the one who was like, don't come around my house. You know, I'm changing the locks of the door. You know, don't want you around my children and everything like that. Now, I hadn't done anything. They just figured that I would. And so get arrested. Family's not going to come get you out of jail half the times. It was my bartender the first time. You know, know, it's the homies that's probably got you. Your family be like, motherfucker, leave his ass there to rot. So, so no. So, fuck all that. You know, you've done what you've done. They've done what they've done. You know, and this sibling, I didn't say anything back in the day when they were meeting up with people to sell their prescription pills in the park because they were short on cash. I never told nobody. That's the first time I've ever said this, but I haven't said which sibling I'm talking about. That's why I haven't referred to a gender. But, you know, don't let your family do you like that. Fuck them. Your best family is your chosen family. I'm going to say this and I'm going to shut the fuck up about this. There's a scripture in the Bible where Jesus is preaching, doing what he do as he do. And his brother and mother showed up outside the front door trying to get in. They wanted VIP white glove diva service. They were like, we know him. We're related to him. Let us in. And the people were like, hey, yo, Jesus. Hey, yo, Jay. Your fam is outside. He was like, I'll leave their asses out there. Because who is my real family? Y'all up in here with me. You know, people who do justice, people who believe. He wasn't about to be constrained with that blood tie bullshit. Mm -mm. 
Mm-mm. Jesus wasn't having it and neither am I, nor should you. Devannon, if there was a religion in the world that you created, I would follow it in a heartbeat. An absolute heartbeat. Let's just remind everybody right now where they can find out more information about Devannon. That is www.sexdrugsandjesus.com, a podcast. I believe there's approximately 36, 37 episodes there. There's a memoir that you can get your hands on. So much good information. I it's just, Devannon, what you're doing is fantastic. I do have to come back to a couple of things about your resume. It could be a tragic resume, but you're turning it into something that's different. But there's going to be people who are watching this and listening to this and go, Devannon, girl, girl, how the heck did you end up in the armed forces? How the heck does that happen? Skittles. (laughs) (laughs) It was Skittles, love. The uh, the Air Force recruiter bought my soul with Skittles. And so what happened in my high school was you didn't have a choice. You had to take the military entrance exam, the ASVAB, armed services, vocational aptitude battery. And so just we were just like chilling one day and they were like all seniors report to the cafeteria for this test. We're like, OK, whatever. And I just like bullshitted my way through it. I scored super high. The Air Force happened to call first. And I don't know if you've ever had this sort of epiphany where, you know, you're about to cross through a nexus point in your life, you know it's right, you feel something drawing you to it, you can't explain it, it just feels right, and you know this shit is going to fucking work, and you know it's what you're meant to do in that moment. There was nobody in in my family, like from the military, I think except for one maybe uncle, but I wasn't like, oh my god, I need to do this to uphold the honor of my family or for the country or anything. I was like, this shit sounds cool. This is what I feel like I need to do. This was like a couple of months before graduation, just like out of nowhere. And my recruiter did buy me Skittles and I fell in love with him. All right. So here on the job application for getting you to Canada, Skittles, what color is the best if they really want your heart? The rainbow. I want the rainbow. I want all the colors. Excellent. Now, I don't know if with Skittles, but here in Canada, we have so many more different candies, chocolate bars, chips compared to what you have in the States. So we might even have special Skittles up here that you don't have in the States. So there we go. Keep that in mind. Mm, It's really excited. Right. I like colorful candies. That sounds like the, um, the different color Kit Kats I found when I was in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They got like green tea. Uh, Kit Kats, cheesecake, Kit Kats, and shit like that. Just whatever. <laughs> just, don't oh, yeah. throw it in a Kit Kat. <laughs> there we go. So, it's, so here's the extra stuff: is we're giving hints to everybody. So you're in the you're in the army, and what years it would this be that you were part of the army itself? Now it's the Air Force, baby. Oh my God, I am too cute to be going to. The oh army. yes, that's right, Air Force. Yes. Now, now, don't get it twisted. The Army had some fine-ass men in it. But over there in the Air Force, we're cute. The Army is fine as fuck. The Air Force is cute as fuck. <laughs> I'll take me some Army dick any day. And so, um, and so um, 
it's, it, repeat your question because I got I got I got sidetracked talking you about got this. The, you got <laughs> thinking the D, and that's fine. And the D in this case was not Devan. <laughs> so with with the armed forces, what years were you serving? Oh, years, go you know, as we say, a dick or two will do, or a cock or two will do, a cock or two will do. <laughs> <laughs> but I was in there from the year two thousand to the year two thousand and six. Okay, so don't ask, don't tell is a policy. Yes. Yeah. So there's a couple of questions from that. One, how were you able to hide for six years? And then the second is, is that this had to have been a home, a relative safe space for yourself for all these years. What brought you to this point where you were discharged honorably? It was don't ask, don't tell. I didn't know what the fuck that was till I was pretty much there because I wasn't a very political person, was, didn't pay attention to anything military or whatever the case may be. And while I couldn't fully be myself, I had enough sense to know that if I did anything gay publicly, I'd be kicked out. There was plenty of gay people in the military. They always have been, always will be from day one. So it's not like in that aspect, I was alone. And so as I was becoming gay, you know, I had gay.com to help me on my journey. And so, right, there was no grind, there was no scruff, there was no jack, there was no none of that. And you, you had to get on the fucking computer, type, wait, wait, wait for the DSL to dial up, wait for the internet connection, you know, do the arrangements, print out the directions on MapQuest. So there were no smartphones. You had to be a determined bitch to be a hoe back in that day. And I have to say, I was a slut. And so, <laughs> and so I channeled learning about being gay through into sex and, you know, my insecurities and my daddy issues and shit like that. I found in the comfort of very masculine men. I don't recommend it. It was wild. It was reckless. It was I wasn't respecting my body, but it's, it was the best I knew how to do coming from a Pentecostal Southern Louisiana background, you know, going to and then I was in Tucson, Arizona, you know, when I started having sex. And so. So there was plenty of gay experiences to have, you know, so I did all the experiencing, but that didn't really mean that I accepted myself. So just because I was fucking every dick I can get my hands on and going to the gay clubs and seeing drag queens for the first time, that still doesn't mean that I looked into the mirror and was like, Devannon, I accept, you know, I accepted myself being who I am. It took me, shit, I think really probably till maybe this year to be like, you know what? I'm oh, totally okay with every aspect of my life. You know, I had to go through and work all of the Pentecostal shit out and the military shit out. It was laboring the hypnotherapy helped the fucking lot. I recommend hypnosis from somebody certified and qualified. We're not talking about people making you quack like a fucking duck on the stage. We're talking about like real mm-hmm. hypnotherapy combined with a psychiatrist or a psychologist is the way it is done in clinic. Um, so, so I came out of there confused and fucked up, you know, anxiety, PTSD, all of that, you know, as I mean, it's fairly typical of people coming out of the military and I barely got out of there with an honorable discharge because I almost got kicked out because I had like piercings and shit in. And I was like, I went in when I was 17. I don't recommend that necessarily. I don't recommend it. I should have waited till I was older. 
And by the time I got out, I was still like basically a pup, <laughs> you know? And then I dealt with people not accepting me because I was so young. And when I went to recruiter school, I think I was like 19 or 20. And then they were like, you're like so young. And everyone else was like in their, I guess, 30s. And they had families and kids. And, it, it, you know, they were, they were insecure. You know, my age was an issue for me, but they were the ones mentioning it because they were fucking insecure and wish that they were further along in their life. Like I was at that young age. They wish that they had done the same thing, but fuck all of them. And so, um, and you know who you are, wherever you're at, if you were in the military, in the Air Force and a recruiter in between the years of 2003 and 2006, and you gave me grief, you could go and fuck yourself. Unless you found Jesus and you're sorry, then I forgive you. And it's okay. Now, never mind. We'll go have some drinks. But if not, then fuck you. And so I barely made it out. They tried to throw me out. I was labeled the squadron bad boy. And the squadron is like a unit. It's like a, a group of people collectively uh, within the Air Force. You know, over those piercings, it was like a Lakewood thing. Now I was their top recruiter, over 100% of gold for three years. I had the largest territory, 120 square feet, the most high schools, the most elementary schools, middle schools, colleges, and all of that, making the numbers, carrying the weight of my whole group. But because some kid and his fuck up fucking dad, I'm sure that they're Republicans, uh, had a problem with the way I looked. <laughs> they wrote a letter to my boss's boss. And because of that, they almost kicked me out. Again, never mind my production in the years of service, because one person's pissed off, you're going to end a whole military career over that. You know, or when it came time to leave, I'm like, let me take my good benefits and leave before you fuckers come up with something else. They sent me for a drug test three weeks in a row on a Tuesday and tried to call it random. They were trying to trap my ass to, to get something concrete to throw me out on. And then when it came time for me to re-enlist or get the fuck out. I was like, I'm getting the fuck out. GTFO ho. They were like, oh my gosh, why do you want to leave? We just don't understand. I was like, I, I know you don't, but give me my fucking benefits and y'all can kiss my ass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I'm going through in my head the what I've got for the timeline for you when it comes to religion and the armed forces. We've talked a little bit about being homeless, unhoused. There was drugs involved, those type of things. And so from knowing more about your story, leading us through yourself, uh, I do know that you were addicted to meth uh, at one point. And so it's not how did you become addicted to meth, but I'm really interested to find out more a little bit about what do you think when it comes to drugs and legalization uh, here in Canada, uh, it's across Canada now uh, where cannabis pot marijuana is legal. Um, but what, what are your viewpoints when it comes to cannabis to meth and the other uh, drugs that one may find when you're on the street or in the comfort of your own home? Well, I think it is, it is as it has been demonstrated in Portugal and, you know, just different places out there where everything's decriminalized. You can just go and get your fucking meth from somebody. You don't have to worry about getting arrested or like it is in Portland, Oregon right now or in Oregon right now. You know, um, I believe the same way I do about women and their bodies if they want to get abortions, bitch. Your body, your choice. If you want to pump it full of toxins or whatever the fuck to have an experience that you want to have, okay, that ain't got nothing to do with me. 
And so, yeah, some people do get high and go steal from shit and steal from people and do crazy shit. But people do that shit perfectly sober, too. So they're going to cause a havoc. They're going to cause a havoc, high or not. So they're, then they got nothing to do with nothing. So I say let let be what be, you know, period. But see, the thing about drug use, Doug, is and what I don't hear talked about really ever at all is the community that comes along with it. You know, there's a certain lingo and a spoken language and everything like that that you come to, or at least I came to get a grip on and a firm grasp when I was a drug dealer in the criminal underworld. And they, those people became family. And so when, when you're asking somebody to get off of drugs, you're really asking them to let their community go. When you ask somebody to stop being homeless, you're asking them to let their community go. And that for me was the hardest fucking thing. You know, I'm like, okay, the church rejected me, but I found at least some semblance, you know, fucking, you know, I felt greatly accepted out there on the streets and everything like that. But since that it was no longer compatible with my life, because now I'm woke, I'm woke, I'm woken up fully and everything like that. You know, I can't keep those same people in the drugs. I don't judge those people, but I don't need the drug, you know, you know, it's hard to negotiate with that, you know. It's that, you know, that, 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 you know, it's hard. It's like, it's like I kind of like wrote a letter or did a special prayer. You know, I had to like break up with that community, like on an emotional level in order to finally let the drugs go. And I only let the drugs go because my body reacts bad to them now. I don't think drugs are bad, but again, if I don't enjoy the drugs anymore, there's no point in fucking doing them. You know, that's why I stopped. But by, by God, when I did do them, I had my Rick James honorary sequins coat and heels and everything, bitch. You know, overdoses, hospital time, y'all. Just like on Dave Chappelle. You just got fucking, you know. I'm just going through my imagination there when I was thinking of that. That was exactly the thought that happened. Well, and we were talking about uh, blood family and chosen family. And you found a chosen family with the other people who were around you uh, who were unhoused and to break up with people who have become part of your chosen family. That's tough because we're not taught those tools. We're not taught how to deal with that. We, you know, it's love your family, love thy neighbor, but we're not taught how to have the relationship with people who are not blood and, that's something that we need to get into is to learn about that, that type of family and what that means. So I can absolutely see you having a difficult time when it comes to this. And true family means people who accept you for how you are with no reservations are not ashamed of you and they don't need to get anything from you in order for you to be there. And, you know, people look at me as a drug dealer and how that there were people higher up than me in the in the in the criminal ladder who I really looked up to as, you know, my dad or whatever the case may be. And they were like, you know, those people only wanted to get something from you. True. But at the same time, there was some at least modicum of love and affection there, too. So what if it was transactional? Was not my relationship with Lakewood transactional? You know, they used me and got whatever they could. And as soon as there was some risk involved, they cut me loose. Was it not transactional in the military? <laughs> you know, you know, so I don't see it any worse <laughs> You know, out there on the streets. It's just 
it looks uglier when you got people with track marks all up and down their arms and a million different felonies, but it's no less egregious in a pretty ass big mega church. If anything, it's fucking worse. Mm -hmm. At least you expect the bullshit on the streets. You don't expect the bullshit at, <laughs> in a church. Yeah. Well, when you have these super churches and they're preaching so they can get another airplane, like, come on. Like, <laughs> Horrific. It's, we don't have that here in Canada to the same degree. We've got some, we've got some preachers, um, but they're just fucked up. Some of them that come straight, uh, straight to mind. Um, I do want to ask you a little bit about this. And here in Canada, we have been trying to build harm reduction sites because we know that harm reduction saves lives. But of course, our conservative or as you would know them as Republicans, uh, when they come into power, they love to get rid of anything that actually has science behind it and is proven to be good for the community. Uh, in your neck of the woods, are there harm reduction sites where people are able to safely inject and get the help they need to, if an overdose takes place? Not that I know of. Now, I live in Louisiana and mm -hmm. I only live here because my parents are getting up in the age and I choose to stay here and help them. This state does not represent my views. This is a Republican state. Uh, it is a closed minded state, pretty much with the exception of New Orleans, which is our open minded liberal city. And everyone's heard of New Orleans. If you of know, course. I would rather live in Los Angeles. That is where my true home is. But um so here in this state, girl, no, not that I know of, but in other parts of the country, I'm pretty sure because harm reduction, you know, I've had someone on my show um, before, I believe it was Jay Schiffman, you know, and he, he we were talking about, um, you know, harm reduction and stuff like that. And I had never heard of it before until I talked with people. And I think he's up in Pennsylvania, you know, maybe like Pittsburgh or somewhere like that, that area. So. I'm all for harm reduction. It makes sense to me. You've got to step down. You know, if you've been shooting up heroin and meth every fucking day for the last 10 years, bitch, you're not. I, I don't recommend cold turkey, you know, um, for a plethora of reasons. But progress is progress. So if you're going from shooting up every day to every other day, bitch, that's golden to me. You know, eventually you'll get to every two days, eventually once a week eventually once every two weeks and so on and so forth until you're either off of the drugs or at a level that you feel like you can control them. I'm not a person who's an advocate of like, say the anonymous movement and, and they're all like, okay, you can never ever do drugs again and you will never be able to have control of yourself. I don't like being told what I will never be able to do. And so whatever it is that means balance for you and you know, and believe that in your soul and you're not having no more fucking issues is where the end result is. But harm reduction, fuck, I wish somebody would have told me that shit back in the day. That would have been far easier than going to Alcoholics Anonymous as there was no Narcotics Anonymous available around me. You know, that would have been far fucking easier, far fucking easier than, than, than the other options. Well, and just to uh, throw out some information to people, uh, the pandemic has caused a huge opioid um, crisis everywhere, but especially here in Canada, because uh, 
meth or cocaine, let's say cocaine in this case, pure cocaine, wasn't able to come over the border here to Canada um, because of the blockages. And so because of that, people were, or people are, uh, spiking everything and combining with fentanyl, creating their own. So when these harm reduction sites, they're able to get the pure form of the drug. So it's at least it's not being spiked with fentanyl and these other products. So while they're there, you're not worried about these other side effects that are taking place. And there's positivity in that. And again, harm reduction saves lives for so many reasons. And people can definitely write in to get more information uh, from myself, or I can put you towards other people as well. Uh, we do have an episode here on Tales of the 2S LGBTQ+, uh, with uh, two ladies who were here to talk about harm reduction. Uh, two women, uh, a couple who found each other, uh, and they're out there all the time. Uh, so that's just my little side thing here that I want to make mention. Uh, Devannon, we're coming near the end of our time with each other, and we haven't covered everything. So at some point, we're going to have to have a part two and a part three and a part four because you are so interesting uh, and it just brilliant. My question for you is, you've had this background, you've alluded a little bit uh, to jail and having felonies. And I do know from looking at your background, there's three felonies involved. You are at a point where you're building a life and building a career and it's so positive and it's so good. But these felonies are part of you. And so how are you able to navigate everyday life, looking for jobs, looking for a relationship when your past is still there. It's still something that you bring to the table with you. How, how have you been able to navigate that? Well, I never could find a decent job, but I think that has a lot to do with my personality because I, I like being told what to do like in bed, but not necessarily just like in every setting and situation. And so, so I have, I have problems with authority <laughs> yeah, and I made it out of the military. But um, so I just opened my own businesses. So I opened a massage therapy business, which I closed because of the coronavirus. And then that's why I started down under apparel, you know, in a flea market, you know, you know, years ago. I was like, this felony shit ain't working out. You know, we got to get our entrepreneur on because waiting tables, delivering food, being a janitor, you know, those are the jobs that I that I had to do because I couldn't do anything else. You know, I went from a 30 to $70 an hour job to a janitor you know you know after i was homeless and so i recommend people and this is trending now since the pandemic you know people are going to business for themselves uber driving lyft driving you know if, if, if you don't have a car uber and lyft have programs where they'll work with you to do like a rental and shit like that you know people have been bit by the entrepreneurial spirit or perhaps we can say it's been unlocked and woken up awakened inside of them so if you have a criminal background, misdemeanors, as I understand it, tend to fall off a little bit quicker than felonies. And then people really don't look at you too bad for misdemeanors. You know, 
open your own shit up, you know, see what you can do. Um, it's so I haven't after I haven't had to deal with that because I don't apply for anything. I did apply for my TSA pre-check and global entry and I got approved for my TSA pre-check. I wasn't sure how that was going to go, you know, because them employers, you know, it could be years fucking later, you know, and they're all like, you know, you, you did this shit five years ago. You're like, bitch, but there hasn't been anything else. Why are you still talking about this old shit? Even to get my massage therapy license, I had to go before the board and talk about my past, even though it was outside of their statute of limitation. They just wanted to talk to me anyway because the shit sounded so bad. I couldn't go to school at Louisiana State University at LSU because of the felonies. I'm all like, what the fuck does this have to do with me paying you a ridiculous amount of money to go to your school? But I can't have a felony. It was everywhere. And so I was just like, fuck all this. I'm not going to go back to selling drugs. I promised my pastor, Evangelist Nelson, that I wouldn't go back to selling any more drugs. But I was like, we got to hustle. You know, and so I had like, shit, it felt like, I don't know how many damn jobs, man. I restored furniture. I was a janitor, delivered food. I was a waiter. I was in massage therapy school. Then I opened that business up. And so it can be scary starting your own business. But I want to say to people, it is worth it if you can make it work. And you got to surround yourself with other business people so you can learn the tricks of the trade, particularly there in your local area with your local government and everything like that and how to set shit up right. It's scary, but you can't let fear hold you back. So like I never as a massage therapist worked for somebody else. I was like, if I could be a military recruiter and a fucking drug dealer, I can do massage. And I and because they pimp you out. So like here, the massage therapist might make $18 an hour on a $60 plus massage. I'm talking about like massage envy. I'll throw shade at them because they tried to recruit us and told us how much we couldn't make. They're like, you won't make six figures here. The max you'll make is $21 and we'll be taking the rest. Thank you very much while we're opening up our 1000th location or this particular owner. He was like on his, his, he was like bragging. Yeah, my family, we own like three or six of these. You know, we don't do massage. We just pimp y'all out. And so, and so if you can like overcome the fear of needing, feeling like you need someone to give you a check on the first and the 15th or every two weeks and get into your own groove. It is so liberating mentally, emotionally. I don't have to deal with bullshit ass people at work. And we all got bullshit ass people at work. That dumbass boss you want to slap across the face and they probably deserve it. The ho ass coworker who just been bugging you and giving you shit. I had to deal with all that shit when I was in the workforce. I wasn't going back to that. Like we haven't come through all this to go back to another form of fucking bondage. And people were not happy in their jobs. That's why when they got this government money and they left, they didn't go back. You know, it wasn't just because they, they were being paid more. It was because they felt shit appreciated, wanted, love, respect, all the things their employer never gave them. And so let me just be quiet about that. But I'll just say <laughs> Oh, you know, well, I ho- I sure hope that once we are out of this pandemic, that we are not going back to the way it was before. You know, mm-hmm. there's a couple things that we'll take from before that we like, but we've got to continue on and push and whatever we put into that bread that we were all making in 2021, whether it's activism, whether it's us pushing ourselves to new heights we better make sure that yeast is still growing because <laughs> we can't go back. Let's talk about down under apparel and talk about what that is and 
what inspires you about it? Well, I have a strong underwear fetish. Um, I love all sorts of kinkery and debauchery. And in my opinion, realness, we're all sexual beings. God created sex. We did not create sex. God gave us the inclination to want to stick long, hard things into, well, wherever we can get it. And, and you know, that didn't come from humans. You know, that was gifted to us. And lingerie is, is an extension of God's gift to us. And when I lived in Houston, I began to get into this as I lived in Montrose, which is the gay district of Houston, Texas, right behind the Hollywood underwear store there. And um, and I began to amass a collection. I, and I was thinking about doing a business, but I never did because I was making enough money. Well, when you're trying to come back up and you ain't making shit, you ain't got nothing to lose. You're like, well, let's fucking try this shit. And so and so that's how it started in a little flea, flea market booth. You know, in Denham Springs, Louisiana, which is in the country, it's fucking races out there. But I, but they had air conditioning, and the the local one closer to me didn't. You know, one in the hood didn't have air conditioning. I was like, okay, a bitch needs some AC, and so I stayed there until it got sketchy. You know, somebody came up to me one day, and he was all like, "Hey, are you the underwear dealer we heard about?" And I was like, "Okay, it's time to go." And so I packed my shit up and left there, and then we took the business online. You know, and then, you know, it's been growing better ever since. And so basically I took a fetish and monetized it. And I thought about giving it up and I, I, I bled money for years, you know, on the business. But it's, it's, it's starting to improve now. And, you know, God told me in a dream uh, not to not to let the business go. And I'm glad that I didn't because my massage therapy business was doing phenomenally but then the pandemic came and I closed it. And so now down under is what I have. And so had I let down under go, I would have been fucked. But, you know, I was able to to close the business, which is what why I wanted to do. The government was like, yeah, you can keep it open. But I'm like, this is the government says is OK. Doesn't mean it matches my morals, common sense and understanding. And I just didn't see the sense of doing hands on massage when the whole thing is to stay away from people. I couldn't I couldn't. I was like, this is what this is. This is exactly what they taught us about in our ethics class in massage therapy. What you gonna do when that situation comes up and it looks iffy? You got to err on the conservative side, and I'm not willing to risk not even one life or even one person getting sick because I need to make money. I can do that another way. And yeah, I could have said, well, it's up to them if they want to take the risk. But no, me being the owner of the company, I'm sending a signal to my consumers that if I'm open, that I've taken certain steps and it's safe for them, just by virtue of me being there with the doors open, it's going to let some of them believe that I'm that it's safe. And I'm not going to do that. I just felt responsible for their lives and I just closed it and I just never opened it. I agree with everything that you just said, Devan. Just absolutely agree with that. The podcast is amazing of yours and I love listening to it. I can understand why you wrote the memoir because you have a story to tell. Why, why did you create the podcast itself? What's its purpose? The initial idea was to promote the book. Someone told me that it's trending now that authors send a podcast It's free cross promotion. Mm -hmm. So you want to get ahead of it and build an audience with the podcast before you release the book. But in the process of doing the podcast and here's the, the the mystery here that I love is I got healed from talking to people 
Because if you're going to be a good host, you got to kind of throw in your own story and your own shit every now and then as you have, you know, today. But, you know, in talking to people about everything that I've been through and what they've been through, it made me more whole, you know, and it was been about a year since it started. And so it ended up being super healing and it's a part of the permanent record. I wanted to write the book so that my testimony could be written in a permanent record. This is far better than standing up in church on Sunday morning and testifying. Nothing against a good testifying service, y'all. Hallelujah. However, a written document will outlive me. And then, you know, it just can go so much further. And then so can a podcast, you know, you know, it's, it can be told, it can be shared. It's a different form of media, you know, so I'm happy that I have it for way more reasons now than when I started. Yeah. And I'm based here in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. You're down in Louisiana and your story is being shared here, Western Canada and wherever my podcast reaches. Who'd have thunk, you know, five, 10 years ago for you, Devan, and that people here in Canada are going to fall in love and be smitten with you. Like, it's just, it's just an amazing thing that, these podcasts and memoirs are able to do. And it's, yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, Devanin, just add me to that smitten part because um, you're just infectious and uh, just wonderful. And I can't wait for you, not today because it's damn cold, but I can't wait for you to come up here because it, you will love the city of Edmonton and Alberta. We are considered to be the Texas of the North, uh, but we do have pockets like Edmonton, which are pretty amazing. Um, the community is strong and uh, fierce, extremely fierce. Yeah, it's got to be warm enough for me to have these out. <laughs> <laughs> and that is my notice for our audio uh, listeners on Spotify and Apple Podcasts that you just missed out on uh, the body that was or that is Devan and Hubert, um, which brings us back full circle because of you being kicked out of the church based on your MySpace photo, um, which I'm sure had excellent lighting as well. <laughs> Hey, last question for you, Devan. Um, you know, RuPaul does the uh, younger, younger self, but I've always wanted to go to the 15-year-old you. Because uh, for myself, my age 15 was huge for myself. That was the year that my only sister was born. Same parents. I had been an only child. I grew up in small-town Alberta. My village had 172 people. I went to a school that had 39 people in it and I had culture shock of going to a high school uh, in a town that I lived in at that point that had 5,000 people. That was my culture shock of growing up gay, early nineties. It was hard life because the only gay people I heard of were the people who were uh, dying of AIDS. So I didn't have people to look up to. So I always go back to the age 15 as being this awakening for myself that was scary. And so my question to you, Devannon, is, is that if you had the opportunity to talk to your 15-year-old self, mm -hmm. what would you say to him? 
like as a warning or oh just if you had if you had a moment or two to yeah. sit sit down beside him on a park bench, what would you say to him? Okay, I would tell him to say not to let my your dad's affair that he had <laughs> affect you. I would tell him not to let not to get involved with a twenty two year old acquired director guy. <laughs> because he has HIV and he's trying to intentionally give it to you. I would tell him not to be hurt because he secretly had a fiance the whole time he was talking to you and never told you. And I would tell him not to internalize the fucked up shit the men have done to you and take that into your adult life. So I would tell him whatever pain that has happened to you and you've been through a lot of pain for such a young age Heal it, do what you can to work with it so that you don't end up trying to heal it in a negative and self-destructive way when you're an adult. For yourself, how has your journey been when it comes to acceptance, understanding? I've come to this year fully accept myself. The, the, The thing about HIV... It's like, okay, so the way that I found out was a really fucked up doctor that I was dealing with left it on a voicemail like New Year's Eve, like 2011. That's when I found out. It was on a voicemail. And so there's something to be said about the way we learn about this diagnosis. And we've already been pre-programmed through the media, the way it looks in the news. You know, we have a bad understanding. It just looks bad. And we believe that already. You know, no, it doesn't have to be a death sentence, but... You know, when they're showing you the shriveled up babies with flies on them in Africa, you know, as they did when we were younger and everything like that, you know, they're not telling you anything good about it. You know, you're just watching these commercials and seeing this, but really that's going into your subconscious. So you're developing a a, a belief about HIV. And so if you get it, all of that shit comes flooding back in all at once. And so as I understand it, when my evangelist Nelson would tell, you know, tell me when she was explaining this to me, because I didn't learn this about him, though he was long dead as he died around 22, 24. He didn't stay alive long because he wasn't taking medicine because he was trying to kill everyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was telling me in her counseling sessions, whenever someone gets HIV, she's like, either they're really, really fucking angry. He was on the angry, angry side of it. He got mad. He was just bitterly, like satanically fucking red with rage about it. And then are they just really sad? I blame myself. I imploded and I was like, this is all my fault. I'm gross. I can't believe I let this happen. I'm so reckless. I blame me. I'm going to die. You know, all of that. I was like, I just went into like a depression over it. Mm -hmm. And so people on different ends of the spectrum, I expected judgment to be in everything like that. But really, a lot of people are already HIV positive. So really, I wasn't alone. People just really don't talk about it. I really wish the people that I was hanging out, going to the club with and everything like that, who who really, you know, had this relaxed opinion about it. Well, we never talked about this shit before. We were too busy doing cocaine and sucking dicks in the bathroom. We weren't having any. There was no substance to our relationship. So when I had a traumatic experience, I had no one to call. I didn't feel like I could, you know. And parents in the South are not transparent. So you don't feel like you can go to your parents with shit if you make a mistake. Because people down here don't have problems. <laughs> so they would have you to believe. And so if you get it, 
you know, heal the trauma, work through it. It doesn't have to be bad, but I'm not going to act like it doesn't feel fucked up to feel like your body's been invaded because it does. All right, Devan, and we're just going to have to come back and continue this conversation at some point in the future because, again, we've touched on a little bit, and that's only been a little bit, of the story that is Devan and Hubert, sexdrugsandjesus.com. While you're listening to my podcast, Tales of the 2SLGBTQ+, make sure you check out Devanin's podcast as well, because it's all Devanin, and it's all information, and it's all good, and I love it. I love it so. Devanin, thank you for being here on today's episode of Tales of the 2SLGBTQ+. A great honor. Great honor, my friend. Thank you for having me, Doug. Blessings upon your audience and upon you as well. Excellent. Well, on behalf of everyone, please be sure to subscribe, do what you need to do, but always be sure to be good and always text when you get home. Until next time, everybody.